Philippians chapter 3 and verses 12 to 21. And uh, it says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a great thought? Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eye on those who walk accordingly to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Well, those few words spoken by Paul suggest the need for tenacity and heroism and are appropriate for our current times, do you think? There is a preparation needed to win a battle. He says in Ephesians, Having done all to stand, then stand. All of our preparation of repentance and obedience will not help us at all if we do not have that stand of faith. It is a belief that as we stand in the armour Jesus gives us, his strength and ultimate victory will be ours. Now, W.T. Sherman, I think there was a tank named after that man, and uh, he uh, was a general in the U.S. Army during the Civil War, and I don't think it was a water tank, <laughs> um, he, during the Civil War. Now, he said, I would define true courage to be a perfect understanding of the measure of danger and a mental willingness to endure it. Eric Severied uh, commented something similar, and he said uh, tenacity is a pretty fair substitute for bravery, and the best form of tenacity I know is expressed in a Danish fur trapper's principle, he says. The next mile is the only one a person really has to make. A good thought, isn't it? Living an authentic Christian life takes great courage. Paul alludes to this in his letter here. In the previous verse, Paul speaks of his journey to arrive at the resurrection from the dead. That's what he was looking for and that's what he was speaking about. He was uh, speaking about that journey to arrive at the resurrection from the dead and now and how desirable such a goal is. In 3.11, he says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
So it was something that was very pronounced in his thinking. And then in verse 12, it's uh, almost as if he is disappointed that he hasn't arrived there yet. For he says, Not as though I have attained or were already perfect. In these words, we find that uh, there is a disclaiming of the kind of perfection that is properly described as the final heavenly perfection where there is a communing with God that is uninterrupted by human failings of any kind. It's a disclaiming of his attaining to that kind of perfection. So he's referring to this ultimate perfection that we'll have in heaven. There is no hiding from God due to his perfection exposing humanity's imperfection because there is no imperfection where God is. There can be no sin in the presence of God. But as I, as I walk through this world with the, with the failings of the human body and the human mind stumbling over things from time to time, as I walk through this world, I'm encouraged by the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John 14 and verse 3, where he says, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. The mind-blowing implications of this are in the present time mind-blowing. <laughs> it's absolutely remarkable when you consider that. Those personal implications are mind-blowing. But of that perfection, Paul is saying, not as though I have already attained it. This is a phrase called, in uh, English grammar, it's called an agonistic phrase and is used in the sense of fighting a battle for a prize. It is referring to the receiving of a reward that is due to the conqueror. As part of the Olympics race, the Olympic races, Paul sometimes refers to the crown of leaves generally set over the finish line. That's how they had it in those days. That the first in place might catch hold of those, uh, that, that wreath that was hanging over the finish line and carry it away with him. In uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24, he refers to it. He says, uh, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And then in uh, the letter he wrote to Timothy 6 and 12, he says, Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold of eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now just stop and think for a moment of the value of that wreath that the first Olympians uh, spent so much effort to achieve. It's just a branch of the wild olive tree that grew in Olympia. And it was intertwined to form a circle, and some of them were formed as a horseshoe-type shape. And it was not made of precious metals, wasn't made of precious gems, with no gold or silver to gleam in the sunlight. 
It was just a bit of wood with some leaves growing on it. That's all it was. So where is the value? Why would these Olympians put so much effort into just getting a bit of wood with a leaf on it? Well, the real value was found in the recognition from the judge that you won the race. You see, there are some who will hear on the day of judgment, depart from me for I never knew you. Another way of saying that is depart from me for you have not received the recognition. They entered into the presence of the judge with no wreath of recognition. The Bible talks of obedient faith being our victory. Uh, by, it says in Hebrews 11 and verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go into a place uh, which he should, after receive an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. And again, in the Amplified Version, we find in uh, the letter of John, chapter 5 and, one, and 4, For everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world, our continuing, our persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. John uses the neuter gender for the word everyone here to say that the victory is not gender based but it is open to all who will come by way of Jesus Christ. Men and women, boys and girls, it is open to you. The Bible also talks of rewards and crowns in heaven. Uh, Revelation chapter 4 verse 10 to 11 is uh, part of the vision of heaven that John was given. And this phrase appears there. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, and honour and power, sorry, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things and your will by your will they existed and were created. These elders model for us our own response when we encounter Jesus in heaven. Our gratitude and desire to worship will cause us to give him any honour, any title, any possession, any prize that we may have accumulated in this world. Of course, uh, we can think of lots of prizes, can't we? And sometimes we see in our letterbox the, uh, the pamphlets that come around advertising some uh, Marty Union or something like that and uh, the, the Soldiers' uh, Union and so on. And uh, we see in there uh, this lovely big house, monstrous house on the beachside and um, sometimes there's bullions of gold, not billions, bullions of gold, uh, and um, other things, you know, flash cars and things like that. And a lot of people scamper after those things. Now, now I'm not suggesting that those things are necessarily bad in themselves. God doesn't condemn riches. He just condemns how we sometimes use them. We use them very selfishly and to neglect other people. But um, England's Queen Victoria 
famously wished for Jesus' second coming would be during her reign so that, and she gave the reason, so that literally she could remove her crown and lay it at his feet. As the heavenly elders and the worldly queen exemplified, we give Jesus our best possessions. Those things that give us identity, who we are and our everything. We can begin to do this even now as we worship him and live for him in this world. Some aspects of Revelation seem to be very poetic when you read through it. And that is that they give an accurate description of what will happen, but not necessarily a, a literal one. It's not always literal when we come across it. Uh, an example from daily life would be when one person gives their heart to another. It is accurate to say that in the sense that they are giving their all to the one that they love. And, uh, and they are taking a risk of great personal hurt, aren't they? They make themselves vulnerable. They are not, however, removing that blood pump in their chest and handing it to that person. So there's a metaphor there. And sometimes when we read through the scriptures, there are metaphors that uh, reflect a far greater and deeper spiritual meaning. Jesus often used them and uh, sometimes we refer to parables. This means that the crowns we are given by God and the way we lay them at the feet of Jesus can just as well be a beautiful description of what heaven is like, not necessarily what it actually is. Whether with literal circles of metal on our heads or merely his stated approval. What is a greater crown than that? Merely his stated approval. God will reward us for our service and we will return those honours to Christ. You know, we find that same principle in our own children because our own children long to hear the approval of mum and dad. Not necessarily buying them all the trinkets. It's that stated approval that we as God's people are so blessed with from God. More examples of the metaphors. Uh, the New Testament also refers to crowns as an example of the rewards offered by Jesus for those who are faithful. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, Blessed is a man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now what is a crown of life? It's life. God has given us that life. 1 Peter 5 verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I am coming soon, he says in Revelation 3.11. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Rewards are also referred to in Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And finally, Revelation 22 and verse 12. I love this one. 
It's so beautiful, it's so encouraging, and it's so full of glory. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Are you looking forward to that great day? I mean, what greater glory could you receive? What greater reward could you receive than the approval from the God who created this whole universe? He is coming back. Paul further says, or were already perfect. Here, he is referring to the resurrection of the dead. Perfect, complete, arrived at the finish line. That's what it's literally meaning. The term Paul uses here again is an agonistic term. We've referred to that that strange word. It's usually in the uh, same kind of battle where it's a battle of wits or a battle in the argument area, a battle in the ideas area. It also relates to athletic contests. Now, what could be more of a mental battle than athletics? I mean, there's a lot of mental strain involved in that. Sometimes I see that advertisement for that um, show where they're, they're, they're jumping from things to things. What's it called? Ninja Warrior. Ninja Warrior. Would you believe me if I said I used to be able to do that? <laughs> I've done the crucifix. We do get old and raggedy, don't we? But I can tell you there's a horrendous amount of mental stress involved in that sort of thing. The time here is... Uh, relating to the athletic straining, to the utmost to be the first across the line. The winner was to seize that crown as his right, yet at that point the judges would intervene before he could actually put it on his head. It actually was not his till he received it from the judge as he was judged a perfect racer or wrestler, as the case may be. He didn't receive the crown because he won the race or the battle, but because the judge decreed him the winner. That's why they, that's why they got it. You see, if he won the crown because of his own efforts, then what is Jesus dying on the cross for us? And this is the important metaphor involved in this teaching here. Our salvation is all of Christ. It is God's grace and God's mercy coming down upon us. The receiving of the wreath was all at the will of the judge. The Christian life is a life pressing forward and not constantly mulling over the past, longing for the old ways as the Israelites did when they were set free from the slavery in Egypt. In their uh, desert journey to the promised land where there was the promise of a land which flowed with milk and honey, they tired of the hardness of the way they were in and they began to look back for the food that they had in Egypt 
And they forgot about the whippings and the lashings and the, uh, uh, the terrible abuse of the slave drivers. We too can long for the past if we are also unwise enough to take our eyes off the prize of uninterrupted communion with God. As someone said, the best is yet to come. I'll conclude with a couple of paragraphs from, uh, from a blog that I read recently from the very Reverend Dr. D.G. Okubile. He is the chaplain of the Nigerian Methodist Chaplaincy in uh, UK, Ireland, and is also the minister in charge of Askew, Askew Road Church, Methodist and United Reformed, in the Chelsea, Hammersmith and Fulcombe Circuit, London, United Kingdom. <laughs> That's a mouthful, isn't it? But he's also a member of the Wesleyan Theological Society and holds a number of other positions. He says, John Wesley, like the apostles, knew the truth of the declaration, best of all, God is with us. Because he encountered Jesus, Emmanuel, the Messiah, during his lifetime. Wesley's death some 229 years ago now summons us, he says, to declare if you and I know the truth of this declaration. The reflection is that God is with us in times of danger. God is with us in difficult times. The Lord in difficult times can show us a way and he is the light of our path. God is with us. Heaven is not too far. Wesley and others will rise again. The best is yet to come because the salvation history that began in a garden will soon end in a city where there shall be no weeping, no violence, no heartache, no sadness of any kind. The form of this world, this present world, is passing away. But the best is yet to come for those who believe in Jesus Christ. That's one paragraph. In the face of death, the Bible reminds us that the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, my one-time athletic body, I have discovered, was temporary. <laughs> I can no longer do those crucifixes. But Dr. D.G. continues, Wesley's death reminds us that death is much closer to all of us than we would like to think. The crucifix is, I've got that crucifix on the mind now. The question is, if you had to meet death today, would you be happy with your life to say, best of all, God is with us? Would you be ready to leave your earthly life and position today with no regrets? Wesley answered this question with a resounding yes. Wesley answered it as he said, because God is with us. 
He says, God is with him even on his sickbed. Wesley had, when he died, 294 preachers, 71,668 British members, 19 missionaries, uh, five in mission stations in different places, and 43,265 American members in the Methodist Church with 198 preachers. Best of all, my friends, is not our colour, it is not our culture, it is not our good looks, it is not our health, it is not our car, it is not our house, it is not our educational degrees. All those things can perish. But the best of all is the presence of Christ that drives away all fears and all foes. The best of all is not about a God who simply secures a little g, by the way, little g, he says, who simply secures our position in the world, but a God, big G, who never fails and with him all things are possible. So I say, thank you so much, Dr. DG for those wonderful, encouraging words. And may God continue to bless your efforts way over there to glorify our Saviour. My friends, are you allowing your present circumstances to cause you to long for the leeks and the garlics from Egypt? Those things in the past? The solution is to maintain an agonistic mental battle of faith victorious faithful vision of the goal of uninterrupted communion with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ the best of all God is with us so the best is yet to come Amen Amen